I'm Renee von Medding. Welcome to Disordered, a podcast about food, our relationship with our bodies, and learning to live and love yourself again. I am not an expert in eating disorders, but I am someone who has lived with one for almost two decades. I'm not here to give medical advice, but simply to try and unpick some of the complexity of disordered eating through a series of conversations I will have with people who are speaking from first-hand experience. Disordered eating will impact each and every one of us at some point in our lives. I want to delve deeper. At what point does disordered eating become an eating disorder? Through looking closer at the spectrum of these mental illnesses, I hope that you will be challenged in your own view of what an eating disorder looks like. In this week's episode, I speak to Tracy Quinn from Dublin, who is a writer, blogger and podcaster. Never diagnosed with an eating disorder, Tracy spent most of her life swinging back and forth between binge eating and yo-yo dieting. Now in her 30s and mother to two young kids, Tracy is living proof that it is possible to love yourself again after battling with disordered eating. Welcome Tracy! I'm so happy to have you here today for our chats. We obviously know each other through the world of Irish Instagram, but we go back further than that, don't we? We do. I knew you were a singer and we have loads of mutual friends <laughs> and you have a very lovely, unique second name. So I was like, that's the girl. That must be her. And first name, actually. <laughs> actually, and first name. Um, But yeah, we kind of regrouped on social media. I think I might have met you at an event. I met you at a, it was in Brown Thomas at a nursing bra fitting yeah, thing but we've yeah. been speaking on Instagram before that and then you hung around and you were like I was pregnant and you were I feeding like, Aria and I was like look at her sitting there on the chair just <laughs> feeding and like looking all calm and you actually made me feel calm that day it was Aww. it was uh it was really really nice to see it but yeah lovely connection through social media binge eating disorder is believed to be one of the most common eating disorders especially in certain cultures One study from the U.S. found that binge eating disorder was three times more common than anorexia and bulimia combined. It also found that it was more common than breast cancer and HIV. Disordered patterns with food can begin in so many ways. For some, it's repeated exposure to unhealthy messaging around body image. For others, it's a traumatic event or situation such as a split or disruption within the family unit. Whatever the reason for these disordered patterns beginning, they all have one thing in common. They all ultimately lead to the breakdown of your mental health and the physical manifestation of an eating disorder. For many people, they are a way of feeling safe and having some sense of control when everything else seems unmanageable. I'm really interested to talk to you today because you haven't had a clinical diagnosis, but I know that you do have a very long history of struggling with both food, your body and your weight. Mm -hmm. So would it be fair to say, like, do you kind of feel that you you have a, a disordered eating or that you, you maybe weren't ever diagnosed? Yeah, I all of that. So yeah. I definitely like I don't look back and kind of even look at it in any sort of like pseudo terms like to me it's like I 100% had mm. an eating disorder that was diagnosed because my eating was completely disordered like by actual literal terms um I look back on it as a time of recovery so even when I'm talking about then and now it's like when I came through that experience when I recovered from that when I got to the other side like it's on a heart level that's how it feels yeah um it's like night and day but also, like most people, I have a tendency to feel like I could relapse or I could go back there um, and I feel triggers. I feel like I have to catch it uh, if I can. Um, and I think the main focus of my life is making sure that I don't go back there because it was an incredibly dark time mm. uh, and I didn't realize how out of control it was. Yeah, um, I think like that's why I really, really wanted to talk to you because you didn't have that diagnosis. And yet, as you say, it was a really dark place. And I'm sure, you know, the things that you went through were almost identical to what I went through. Yeah, you know, just we looked different. You, just we that, were on different ends of the physical scale of it. Exactly. Um, and lots of our guests, again, have been on different ends of that spectrum. Um, but it's it's really interesting for me because, you know, we've talked about this. I think the numbers are in the statistics, I suppose, are that up to 4% of, of the population 
may suffer from an eating disorder at some point and I think that's incredibly low like I I would believe that most any person in this country has had some form of um, disordered relationship with food and their body like I don't I don't think there's anyone who gets away without having that and for me the really interesting thing is kind of looking at at what point does it become a problem at what point Mm -hmm. does it become a disorder People with eating disorders behave similarly to people with substance abuse by narrowing their behavior down so severely that their disordered patterns begin to interfere with other activities in much the same way that substance abuse does. Timothy Walsh, an eating disorder researcher and professor of psychiatry at Columbia University, says, Many people have noticed that when people with eating disorders, bulimia in general, talk about the foods they binge on, it can sound a lot like how people with substance abuse problems talk about abusing drugs. The overwhelming urges of people with bulimia or binge eating disorder look a lot like alcoholism or drug addiction and most of us who have suffered from one can tell you that our behaviour very much reflects that of an addict. According to one study, roughly one-third and one-quarter of people with bulimia and binge eating disorder, respectively, will also have an alcohol or drug problem at some point in their lives. It's not uncommon to have both problems, and when you understand the addictive nature of eating disorders, it's not hard to see why. We'll go back. I just want to kind of get a a sense of you as a young person before there was any, you know, issues with food or your body. So um, I I actually don't know where you're from. Where are you from? I'm from Dublin. So I was born in Crumlin um, in the Coombe. And I lived in Crumlin until I was four or five. And then we moved to City West. So Mm. my whole kind of childhood was in City West, my schooling years. Um, And I was and am the eldest of five kids and was always a bit of a mother hen. So I would have actually been doing quite a lot of cooking and stuff from a really really young age which if my mom was here now she is here as in like she's not physically here but she she'll be listening to this she often says oh I kind of you got pushed into that nurturing motherly role from a young age because my youngest brother had cancer when he was Mm. two and I was 12 so my mom was in hospital with him a lot uh, pretty much indefinitely for a full year and I could kind of you know fall into the daughter role but but more naturally into the the mothering role so I was doing a lot of cooking and food prep and that type of thing so the interest in food and the want for food to be sort of a celebration and need praise around food and kind of um the creativity around it definitely started there but I think so did the sort of out of control behaviors as well so around the age of 12 do you think I would say so because I think I definitely like in aesthetic terms was more of a, a pudgy child if you will like in, yep. in primary school I was definitely the the biggest girl mm. in actually probably the biggest person in my class all the time so I was always uh, chubby but I think the psychological thing where I started to use food kind of as currency for happiness for validation for permission to be whatever probably started around 12 when I had a lot of control over what I ate and also had this secret that I could now keep because uh, sometimes my parents weren't around for yeah a long time yeah so I was able to kind of um do what I wanted really yeah. and like when I was in school and I think times were different back then as well like there's a lot more focus now on healthy eating and like even in my son's school he's not allowed to bring a treat into school mm. he can bring one in on Friday but it has to be a palm-sized uh, treat and healthy eating is part of education I think back then our our diets were definitely more processed you know like I remember every day getting a packet of crisps and a bar in my lunch yeah which my son would love now he'd be (laughs) like this is amazing and now I find myself on a Friday having to choose between one or the other for him but we had our sandwich and we had like our piece of fruit and I probably wasn't eating the piece of fruit and I always laugh because I'll get to this in 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 a while but I was a Slimming World consultant and I used to make the joke to my members saying like you know when you were younger and your mom would put like uh, an apple in your bag and every day the apple would come back and every day they'd put the apple back in your bag and the same apple would keep coming back and forth from the home to the school and you weren't eating it so I was saying make sure that you're eating food that you do want to eat and that you're going to kind of enjoy but you're not going to keep putting it back in the bag exactly like there's there's definitely like a, a problem there if it's not if it's not kind of been eaten and you keep sending it but I think from a young age, like my biggest fear was, I don't know why, was my parents splitting up. 
I remember mm. like watching a movie and being like there was a movie and this mother and father had split up and this family had broken and it was so sad to me so around the age of 11 or 12 my parents did split up around the time that my brother got cancer and I remember just thinking my whole world was falling apart and I definitely see now there was a moment where I started to bury my feelings because I couldn't cope and I couldn't channel them yeah and I used food to medicate those feelings Research shows that up to 25% of people who continuously diet will develop an eating disorder at some point in their lives. When we think of the diet culture in Ireland, this is worrying. Organisations that promote weight loss journeys can be beneficial to some, but also incredibly damaging to others. It's important to find what works for you while also being mindful that these programmes are businesses that effectively make money from you coming back again and again. It is interesting when we realise that certain eating disorders appear to be almost non-existent in cultures that haven't been exposed to Western ideals of thinness. One might wonder, how different would our culture be if we weren't constantly bombarded with imagery and messaging promoting thinness as the ideal body shape? How would the landscape of yo-yo dieting change were we not constantly fed the line that being thin makes you happy? The thing about food is... You know, unlike other addictions or aversions, we do need food to survive. So that's the hard thing. It's, <laughs> it's not like you, 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 you yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't you can't stay away from it. If your drug is is alcohol or your drug is food, it's a lot easier for people to be judgmental, and it's a lot easier for you to be put into a certain box and to kind of be put in a category. But when it comes to food people tend to just look at the aesthetic and look mm. at like, oh, look at that girl who's like, oh, her parents mustn't be looking after her or, yeah. you know, blame somebody purely based on the physicality that you're seeing in front of you. And yeah. there's very, I find anyway, there's a, a lack of sympathy around food because even when people talk about like different races and different kind of cultures um, that would have more obesity levels, there's such a, a sense of judgment, but also almost disgust that like, if I was to put in front of you somebody who was anorexic and who wasn't eating and who was quite literally looking like they were going to, I don't mean to be saying this, but like look like they're going to die. Like yeah, I've on seen the point that, of death, yeah, like absolutely. quite literally like mm-hmm. what you'd see in the movies when you look at like yeah. switch and stuff like that. Yeah. Beside somebody who's morbidly obese, yeah. there's a lot more sympathy for the person who is physically suffering yep. than the person on the left or right who well they're both physically su- they're exactly. both physically suffering and they both almost have identical exactly but one is greedy one can't yeah. get enough into them one yeah. is taking what what does not belong to them yeah and is just it's almost like a level of disgust versus sympathy and i i really struggled with that because yeah. then i felt because there was no sympathy or empathy more so i couldn't open up about it so i just said well this is my choice this is what i'm doing and i have to just sort of take the good with the bad because no one's going to care enough about me to help me um as opposed to somebody who you know is struggling to eat or there is yeah a huge um you know shame around people who overeat as opposed to people who undereat even though really they are identical in you know where it comes from you know whether it's childhood trauma or if it's a need for control or if it's, you know, society's kind of input onto like a young child's development and, you know, oh, you shouldn't be doing this or you should be doing that or mm-hmm. maybe you should try a diet or, you know. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting. But definitely, I think people, as you say, on one end of the spectrum have a completely different experience. Yeah. And even the language around kind of um, helping people like, you know, it's you know there's a lot of people who look at food as this really sort of one-dimensional thing and it's like you know well you've a couple of stone to lose like just move more and eat less and it's like oh I had never thought of that that's so unbelievably profound thank you for your wisdom it's like it's so entwined with mental and emotional I don't know I was going to say growth but like all of it, like I think what you're eating or what you're not eating mm. is such a reflection of your, your mental health What's going and your on sense on the inside, of self, yeah. exactly. Learning to love yourself again after an eating disorder can be extremely challenging. The physical manifestation of an eating disorder is only a small part of the illness. Figuring out what has caused these disordered behaviours is what's going to ultimately allow you to move forward with your life. 
For most people, the key to learning what has caused their eating disorder is therapy and counselling. There are various free resources available for those who want to begin that journey. Like for me, I would find the world of any sort of dieting or slimming or making yourself smaller, I would find that really triggering for yeah. me. And I know for a lot of people, but I know also some people find it really helpful and mm-hmm. it changes their life. So I'm interested to hear kind of how you found it because I know that you did find it really helpful, but then ultimately, as you say, you left. Yeah, so again, it's a really, really tricky one because even just yesterday I was talking about my, I had gained a bit of weight over lockdown and I wanted to lose it um, less for aesthetic reasons and more for health reasons to be quite honest with you and feeling kind of more comfortable in my own skin um, it was more about the behaviours that were creeping back and why they were kind of creeping back in and I'm always so cautious when I talk about it because even like the last two weeks I've sort of said look if this is a trigger for you if food is a trigger if weight is a trigger don't, watch don't this. listen yep. because this is yep. what I'm talking about um, and yet on the flip side you have people who are getting so much from mm. you sharing your vulnerability your honest behavior around food and it's a kind of a difficult it is. thing to sort of find balance, balance it, yeah. with but um for me ultimately i looking back now i i don't think i could have transitioned into a more positive place about my body but more so about my sense of self about who i am and about looking after myself on all levels without some kind of a framework Mm. so I'm a very structured person in in lots of ways and I needed something that I could report to when I say report to I don't even mean the consultant I don't even mean the plan I mean there was a context for my day that if I did this 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 and this I would still have really tasty food and I would lose weight you see and the thing for me is I wasn't somebody who just wanted to lose 10 pounds and be a size 10 I was somebody who was you know 16 stone who couldn't breathe walking up the stairs who was like a heart attack waiting to happen and there needed to be an intervention and for me I find myself being massively grateful for that time in my life because for me it was a support group now looking back now what I really could have benefited from was a an overeating support group Mm. and a binging support group and I found that within Slimming World but that's not what they were offering so it's kind of (laughs) funny I was there I used to call it Tracy's World so (laughs) I was following their plan and I was adding my own little bits in yeah and I'd found this kind of balance but ultimately what I kept coming back for was sitting in a room with people of all shapes and sizes who had a story to tell Mm. about disordered eating around food and feeling accepted and feeling like it wasn't the elephant in the room and that I wasn't the elephant in the room and that I was accepted and kind of could be nurtured on this journey and you know seeing the transformations physically I'm not going to lie and say they didn't inspire me because they did and bear in mind my entire childhood my entire teenage years were spent saying well why can't I wear that and why can't I dress like that Mm. and you know do musicals and like you know we have a mutual friend I played the same part as her in a play and I remember like looking at our costumes and being like why are they why does hers look so different to mine and I even remember the director of the show saying to me Tracy sing like Tracy I literally was trying to sound like her and Mm. she you'll know yourself has the most unique voice that's nothing like me and I was just looking at this person physically and listening to her and I was like I want to emulate that I want to be like that but even back then all I wanted to do was for my voice like in the literal terms like how I talk and then in that case how I sang to match with something that made sense physically but Mm -hmm. it didn't make sense to me physically um I felt like I I looked like I was wearing the wrong costume if that makes sense but it was my my skin it was my body um so I'm extremely grateful for Slimming World, but I think it could have been anything, if I'm honest. I think it could have been, it was the right place and the right time for me. And it was more about a room of You could support. have found religion or some sort of community. Have, it was enlightenment or, for me, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it just happened to be something that celebrated food. Yeah. But from my perspective, other people will go every week to Slimming World and might find it like massively triggering. Mm. Um, and actually it might be more damaging down the line emotionally, even though physically, they've ticked the box for me it was the the first steps to saying okay this can be different and I'm not alone and actually I do have a problem here and I'm not the only person who secret eats and binge eats and who is using food like a drug 
it's not just me. So what age did you do that? When when did you um, make the decision? I mean, I was on and off like the Weight Watchers wagon from a young age. So like <laughs> I asked my mom, could she bring me to Weight Watchers when you were allowed to join? Which was like, I think maybe 14 if you're with a parent. And it was a really like kind of, it was a real, I can't explain it. Like it's, it, it was it was carefully done like it wasn't like me sitting in a room talking about weight it was like learning about healthy eating and kind of it it definitely helped me in lots of ways yeah um and it didn't work for me if Mm. you know what I mean later on I went back and then I tried again and but actually when the penny dropped was probably the my eighth or ninth time to join Slimming World and I, I I really and truly mean that like I think it was number eight and it was a new meeting it was a new venue it was a new consultant it was a new time was this after having your first yeah, baby? Yeah, this was, Billy was 13 months old. Okay. So this is another thing that's worth m- noting. It was the very first thing that I did that was outside of me being a mother for like two and a half years yeah. or being pregnant. It was and like, it was for you. It was for me. Yeah. And I remember I'd close the door, Billy would be, like I actually could feel my heart rate and even think about it now. He, I was breastfeeding. He was so reliant and dependent on me in every sense. And I struggled so much to leave but I think I needed to. Mm. And I think leaving that house once a week for me unapologetically mm. was really important for me in terms of my like, again, back to my sense of self, back to self-care, back to separating Tracy the mother from Tracy the human being yeah. on her own. And I think it was more about that kind of um, awareness for me. Again, I could have been going to Scientology. <laughs> I could have been going to like the Not gym. Not that we're <laughs> advising that. We are uh, probably not advising yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. But like, I could have been going anywhere. Yeah, like, yeah. I could have been just, going. It was just going somewhere for you. Choir. Like, it was just somewhere yeah. where I felt accepted. Somewhere sure. where I felt, um, I felt part of something positive. I think, mm. and I kind of replaced my food addiction with, um, an addiction to kind of being part of that circle, part of that team, I suppose, and kind of, um having those cheerleaders that I didn't have for sure. so long. And then how did that evolve from you just really enjoying that and really kind of finding yourself again there to you becoming a consultant with them and um, helping other people? Well, honestly, I think physically losing weight, you know, actually being a smaller size and, and, and wearing a, like completely different, like aesthetic in terms of clothes. And to me, that was huge. And I'm careful about talking about that because it's so one dimensional, but it's not really for me. For me, it was like channeling this part of myself that I never had experienced before. So I was like 25 years of age, like in my first pair of jeans. Like that's what it felt like. Literally, this is what it feels like to wear jeans. Oh my God, this is amazing. I just did so much work on myself as it happened around that time, like emotionally and I had gone to counselling and it was a lot of different things had lined up at the same time as me and for me. And I felt really comfortable in my own skin. So for me, it was, I need to scream this from the rooftops. I need as many people as possible who need this to know that it's there and that they are worthy of it and that they do deserve it and that change is possible and that you don't need to starve yourself you don't need to binge you don't need to take horrible milkshakes you don't need to do any of that crap to lose weight if that's what you want to do um there is another way and loads of people feel the same and that was my motivation that was honestly it coupled with like financially I need to work sure um I also want to be home with my kids and this kind of career promotes that sort of balance um and I just kind of thought yeah this is for me what I need right now in my life and I went for it and I definitely had some really really good times Mm. but it is an organization I'm like it is it's a it's a it's I have a lot of issues with the diet industry and I have a lot of issues with um the slimming and even the word like slimming world you know it's it's it, it is quite negative in lots of ways and yet I do struggle even with saying that because for me it was such a positive thing but it's so unbelievably individual Mm. I think for me it was as I said, the timing in my life where I was at emotionally, I had also gone to counselling, something clicked for me. It is so, there's so many different factors to consider, but ultimately I felt like I was working for an organisation and it was less about the nurturing, um, which is what I went into it wanting to do. And I didn't feel like I had enough time to help everybody. And it was overwhelming. Like I had a hundred people in my group every single week and I barely could say hello to them all. And yet they were all in my eyes like me struggling. Yeah. Um. And even sometimes I would see behaviors in those people that would actually trigger me. And it's something mm. I really struggled with, not in a judgmental sense, but in a, you know, have you ever wanted to shake yourself? 
and be like what are you doing like when you come to the other side of pain yeah. and you go what are you doing or like yeah. you break up with somebody and or they break up with you and you're begging them back and then five years later you're like what were you doing yeah I felt that was it was wake it was waking that thing up in me again where I was almost going back there feeling irritated by myself and trying to channel that into helping other people yeah. but also not having enough time to help them and feeling like yeah. this person needs a psychotherapist this person yeah. needs counseling they need more than somebody who can tell them like how to weigh 30 grams of orange do yeah. you know what I mean yeah and um, so I tried to make it more of that but the more I made it like that the less it was slimming world and that's, that's what I joke it's Tracy's world it, it, <laughs> I don't know what it became in the end but in the end I was going back uh, on Wednesday the 22nd of May and my baby came that day and I never went back <laughs> so I had my car packed and I, I I was going back and I was going back after I had her but you know things panned out differently and I was happy to to leave that part of my life behind but also um definitely had some good times and definitely I'm grateful like for lots of reasons but but it also it did open another conversation for me as well the way we talk about food is so important Using food as a punishment or a reward is destructive and will lead to a disordered relationship with food. Food should be something to be enjoyed regardless of what you weigh. Learning to love yourself is a process. If you can't love yourself today, you are not going to love yourself tomorrow. The number on a scale doesn't determine your worthiness of love. No matter where you are on your journey, you are deserving of love. Let's talk about um, the the diet industry. Mm-hmm. You know, as as you know, and as you've said, it can be helpful for some people yeah. and it can be life changing for some people, but also it can be incredibly dangerous. Yeah. You know, and at, at what point does that become dangerous? And even the word diet, I just have a problem with. Die. It's die. Yeah. Die. It's die. Yeah. And diets don't work. You know, you go on a diet, you come off it, you go back mm-hmm. to square one. Yeah, you do it again. You go back to yeah, square one. It's short term. It's a, it, yeah, it's it's a it, and it's this this cycle of of shame and then reward, and yeah, I, I suppose even the the whole kind of like you diet, you diet, you diet, and then you have your reward, mm-hmm. you know. And I just I don't know. I personally have it that for me like massively triggers me, and you know, yeah. W- what what are your thoughts on? I get that totally um, and I definitely can look back at myself and think and see where some of the toxic um, behaviours would have mm. happened for me even in the midst of my like you know awareness and, and what I would consider to be like a really positive time. There were definitely weeks where I had set myself certain challenges and certain goals and a lot of the time the goal would be eat this way for so many days, get the reward which was the, the number and then treat yourself to the food that you've been wanting all week which in one way became a really good positive tool for me because it helped me avoid food during the week that was not going to help me um, health-wise. You know, like let's call a spade a spade. Having three spice bags in a row in secret is yep. a recipe for heart attack. So mm-hmm. a lot, a lot, in a lot of ways, I was grateful for that because it made me think, if you really want a spice bag, like there's nothing wrong with that. Like, but why don't you just like wait till the weekend and like yep. eat really nice food during the week and yep. look forward to it. To me, that's positive language. Yep. That's like... That's probably more like how I eat now. It's like, well, if you want it, have it. But do you really want it now? Have it if you want it. Yeah. But like, I think you really want it on Saturday when like you're chilled out and like yeah. you can have it together and it's a little yeah. date night. Yeah. However, looking back at some of the kind of maybe in the middle of my journey, I might have had weeks where I would, there would have been a little bit of like gorging and restriction um, mm. that I didn't see back then. But it was like, I weigh in on a Thursday, like even like that rolled off my tongue, like I knew Thursday, like I'll never yeah. forget that. Thursday was the day I weighed in and um, I would say Wednesday was definitely the day I ate the least amount of food. Yeah, and you'd restrict so without even knowing it. Yeah, yeah, without even knowing exactly. Because I'd say, well, look, it's only another day away. Um, and that's kind of what I try and promote now is that you're not answering to anybody. You're not reporting to anybody. You're not reporting to a scale. You're not reporting to a person. The only person you should ever be reporting to is yourself. Mm. And even at that, it's not you don't have to you don't need approval yeah it if I think if you're going to change your habits I don't think personally and this is just the gospel according to Tracy I don't think personally you can overcome undiagnosed disordered eating shall we Mm. say in my case unless your changes are coming from a place of self-love rather than an overly critical judgmental place of hate because I think that's the problem people are looking in the mirror at themselves going what are you doing cop on yeah what look what you've done to yourself whether that's 
because their body is too big, whether that's because their body is too small, whatever that might be. And from hate comes hate. From pain comes pain. And I that that when people say to me, what clicked for you? Like what what happened? And I'd say, well, definitely what happened for me is I I think I heard something or someone told me this, I don't know who it was, that on day one of your recovery, whatever it might be, let's say it's drugs, let's say it's alcohol, let's say it's food. If you cannot look yourself in the mirror at that moment and be like, I love you, it's okay, you're perfect, you're brilliant, you're beautiful, give me a hug. If you can't do that on day one, you are not going to be able to do that on the finale, like yeah. when you get the reward, in inverted yeah. commas, because there it, it's not like, and tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be happy, and you walk out like stars in their eyes, and you're like yeah. a size 10, and you, your mental health just goes, ooh, I'm caught up now, now I like myself, now I now I kind of am presenting to the world as this new person. That's not how it works. I always say to people, you're wearing a different coat. The person underneath the coat is the very same. So start from a place of love, whatever that recovery is for you. Love yourself right now, this very second, because otherwise I think you're still using food as a currency for whether or not you deserve to feel happy on the daily. It's like, today was a good day. Okay, I deserve to feel happy today. Today was a bad day. Feel bad. But tomorrow you might feel good. Yeah. It's so toxic. It really is. And it's so up and down because your perception of how you see yourself is, you, you know, you could... You could look the same on, on, you know, Monday and Tuesday, but how you see yourself in the mirror can change massively between those two days. Yeah. Even if like the weight has not changed, yeah. nothing has changed, but just the way we see ourselves, you know, and our, our perspective. Totally. Just like, changes constantly. Literally, and yeah. You know, even like hormonally, it changes mm-hmm. constantly, like how we see ourselves. And if, yeah, if we're finding our worth from from what you're what you're seeing back in the mirror like you're never you're never gonna be happy no because it's again it's it's so one-dimensional like you know I mean my weight doesn't tell people that I'm a really kind person absolutely it doesn't tell people that I'm a crier it doesn't tell people like that I am really really sensitive and it doesn't tell people my faults and my triumphs all it does is tell people at this very moment in time that is what I weigh yeah at this moment in time this is how my skin looks yeah this is how my hair looks and I think modern society is so unbelievably obsessed with physicality and I see it myself even in you know young people like no names no scandal but like people I know that are young and are maybe single and the focus is completely on the aesthetic and even like tinder you know kind of culture swipe left swipe right it's so easy to just disregard anything that builds a person based on like I didn't like their eyebrows or like their boobs weren't big enough or you know whatever the case may be swipe left swipe right no thanks I mean you imagine it was that simple in real life if somebody yeah. stood in front of you naked with like all of their vulnerabilities and their, their their story would you just go next next there's so many more layers to a person yeah and yet how we present ourselves like your how you feel about yourself physically can massively affect that because for me again I wouldn't be being true to myself if I didn't say that like when I lost weight and when I felt more comfortable in my own skin and felt more healthy and I felt proud of myself but I felt proud of myself that I had finally figured out how to replace that toxic behavior with food. And I had just started to look at food as food. Um, I definitely turned a leaf in my life. Like I put myself forward for things. I became more confident. Mm. I really liked myself more because I was like, no, you're more than just whatever box you'd put in yourself into. Becoming pregnant can be a difficult time for any person. Seeing your body change can be almost painful for some even more so for those who have suffered from eating disorders. Your body will grow in a way that is beyond your control, and even for those in a place of good mental health, this can be extremely challenging. Linking in with a mental health professional during your pregnancy can be of huge support to those with a history of disordered eating. Even when I was pregnant, like obviously my body changed when I was pregnant, I was terrified. A lot of people didn't get that. I was terrified. Like the miracle of pregnancy is wonderful. You've been there. And yet I was, I don't know if you had any um, issues with being pregnant, but I was huge terrified issues. about my yeah. body changing. Yeah. Um, no, it was it's huge. Yeah. And, you know, you're obviously weighed at a lot of appointments mm-hmm. and, you know, health professionals are commenting on how much weight you're gaining or not gaining. 
and yeah it's it's a it's a hard time and especially like for you if you had gotten yourself to a place where you're really confident with with how you you were as a person and then to have that completely change and it's out it of your hands control again yeah it's out of your hands because the baby is growing and that's you know it's mm-hmm. gonna happen there's no like there's no going back on that and actually on that note like the way people sort of say how damage it how damaging it can be to sort of talk about somebody's appearance and size that obviously happens a lot when you're pregnant oh my but god I am um, remember meeting you for a coffee you had just had Aria she was a couple of weeks old and yeah. you were like I remember you yeah, were breastfeeding yeah. we went to that lovely yeah, yeah. Uh, cafe and I don't think I said it okay but yeah. I remember thinking her baby's only like a couple of months old and look how slim she is like that's amazing I had no idea that you had a history of eating disorders <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say it to me <laughs> I didn't say it to you thankfully I didn't say it to yeah. you but if I did say it to you I definitely would have felt like I had made your day yeah because surely how could me complimenting yeah. your body be anything but positive yeah whereas one comment that came from me from a place of kindness yeah for you could have ruined your day because I noticed you and I was yeah. looking at your body yeah. and that Absolutely. is so harmful for people it really is and that's like something that I think a lot of people struggle with because it's so ingrained in us when we see someone to to comment on their physicality yeah Yeah. and it usually is coming from a really good place because let's let's be fair you're not gonna meet someone like one of your friends and be like Jesus you look awful you you know you're you're probably gonna be like you look amazing today or have you lost weight or you know it's just so ingrained in us but like it is so damaging yeah and especially for people who have a history there um, you could be completely like lighting a match and throwing it, you know, into you know, and just mm-hmm. igniting something in them. And I think it's been, something you know, that kind of uh, like it comes to us so naturally. Like we got here today, and I know the producer, and I the first thing I said <laughs> to him was, "You look lovely," but I mean that. I stand by that. I, yeah. I, but I meant it he more does. than than any of it. I meant like, "Oh, you're lovely." Like uh, I love person, you. Like yeah. it was like that's how I felt in that yeah. moment, and yet the language is very much you look like you look was the first thing I said because that's the first thing I noticed yeah and yeah it is it is really hard like even my dad would say to me a lot of the time like he always says it it just makes me laugh he always says you look tired yeah I'm like I am tired but like it's usually when I've no makeup on I'm like I just don't have makeup on like I this is my face like and you know what it's certain people I think you know, can have a more profound effect on you when yeah. they say, like it's certain, like for me, it's my mom. Like when she says anything to me to do with how I look, I feel like I'm 16 again yeah. and it gets my back up mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. And Audrey laughs at me because she's like, she, you know, she she doesn't mean it in any way, know, she, you know. But, that's but if she says, it. you look like you've gained weight, you look like you've, and she won't say it, but to me, that's what you hear. I hear, you look bigger, or I hear you look smaller or, you know, what she's saying is not what I hear. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, definitely like certain people can obviously, you know, affect you more deeply than some random person on the street saying your bump looks big. Are, are you having twins? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, definitely. by the way, is not a good thing to say no. to a pregnant person. No, definitely not. No. We're commenting at all. I just think like, just don't comment, especially when people are pregnant. Eating disorders do not discriminate. While the majority of people who are diagnosed are women, there is a huge number of men who experience disordered eating and eating disorders too. The fact that so few men actually come forward to seek help could be one of the reasons why there is still a belief that eating disorders are a female illness. There is a huge stigma faced by men and many may hide the issue due to a fear of a negative reaction. At present in Ireland, there are no medical guidelines specifically for men experiencing eating disorders. Just as a consultant, like when I was in that role of of the Slimmer World Consultant, I noticed definitely that it was almost a more challenging issue for men than it was for women. Because I feel like in this culture, men are almost afraid to talk about themselves physically because it almost like removes the manhood from it. So it's like, well, men are built like men and, and and get up and get on with it type of thing. Whereas for me, like when a man would walk into my group, I was always amazed by it. Like in, 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 in all the hundreds of people that I met, I think I met five men. Wow. And I think it's important to make that comment because I think we think men can just sort it out and like, you know, they'll be fine. And, you know, should they'll just go to the gym or should they'll just stop eating, whatever. Like, Eating disorders, disordered eating, mental health, like it doesn't discriminate between gender. But I think we are maybe 
perhaps a slightly more warm and tolerant gender um when we hear that kind of language from a woman it's almost like we do have more sympathy a bit like back to someone who's under eating and overeating but like if a man is struggling in that way it's it's a bit like man up or mm. i've heard people say things like that and that is so damaging so again i have a son and I'm really conscious of his eating habits, like growing up. I don't want food to be a thing for him. I don't want him to to use food. And yet we have our little, our tea and tree thing that we do together. And it's such a lovely little kind of ritual we do every day. And I, I think it's it's a really positive thing we do. Um, And yet I find myself being cautious around the language I use around yeah. food with him. Because I don't want food to be something that he measures himself with. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it's it, it's just something I've noticed, like just we're just slightly more tolerant when it's women and just slightly more, I don't know, it's a bit more harsh when it comes to men. And that's something that I would love to see people being a bit more kind of careful with yeah. because your husband or your brother or your dad could just really need somebody to just talk about the emotional element of food. So many people who struggle with disordered eating or food addiction find it incredibly difficult to recover because eating is a process that is necessary to our survival. Food is unique in that it's not like any other substance which you can simply avoid. We cannot get away from food. The only option is to work through your deeper issues and find a way to enjoy eating again. Listen to somebody talking about being a drug addict and like being strung out on drugs and like looking for drugs and being gagging for their next hit. That is how I was with food. Like looking on every corner of my house for food, crying into my food, crying when my body stopped letting me put food in Mm. because it was physically hurting because Mm. there was too much food in it, waiting patiently for the next time that I could possibly fit more food in because I needed to numb the pain. And then the pain that I was initially trying to numb was now replaced with the pain of overeating. And waiting to eat again meant that there was space for that feeling to come out. And I, I just remember it was just burying, burying, burying it. I mean, what goes down, it, it has to come out somehow. Um, but I just wasn't using heroin or cannabis or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I was using drug. I was using food as my drug. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it goes back to it's the it's probably the only drug <laughs> that you can't not have. The most important relationship you have is with yourself. No matter how much you have struggled in the past, it is possible to enjoy food again. When you are coming from a place of love for yourself, you will want to treat yourself and your body with respect, love and care. You will want to feed your body in a way that makes it feel nurtured and cared for. Any healthy relationship should give you joy and the same goes for food. If you can learn to have a healthy relationship with food and your body, you will ultimately find a sense of balance. Food has such a positive celebratory element with as well like even in different cultures like food connects people food is how people express their love and how they catch up at the end of the day and I think food is such a beautiful thing like I'm so passionate about food Mm. now it's an open honest colorful topic in my life but before it was like the unspoken like negative almost like satan topic yeah um and even that is something that like I struggle with a little bit now because I, I kind of find myself being careful about my language and kind of being careful about my language with myself yeah more so than anything yeah because I think that's the loudest voice you hear is the one in the back of your mind that no one else hears many people think that they are immune to disordered behaviors around food I would challenge that assumption and ask you this have you ever treated yourself to a certain food at the weekend as a reward for abstaining from certain foods all week Have you ever berated yourself for giving in to your cravings? Have you ever restricted your food ahead of an event or a holiday? Have you ever had an evening of binging and then felt guilt and shame because of it? Well, if you've answered yes to any of that, you've experienced disordered food behaviours. That is all disordered. I think people's relationship with food has such a profound effect on how they experience the world day Mm. to day because it's as we said before it's something that threads your entire day every day all day and if it's a reoccurrent problem for you if it's something that's you know triggering you there's no escape in it because if you're not even pursuing it somebody around you is or the television ad that you're looking at is showing you it um and like you know the way people go to rehab 
where people have to remove themselves from their environment that mm-hmm. promotes the drug abuse or the alcohol people avoid pubs people you know whatever it might be yep. they go off to rehab I mean you you go to rehab you have to eat so like food this is where I think it's like the everyday daylight addiction or fear of the very thing that is there to sustain us and yeah. to keep us alive yeah and that's why it's so harmful and I think yeah. I completely agree with you I think there are so many people who wouldn't even consider it to be an issue in their life and yet actually for me anyway when I like went through my recoveries what I refer to it as all of these other elements of my life started to make sense because I couldn't see them before that because I saw them with respect to how I ate yeah with respect it was all through to that what lens. I looked like yeah. and now it was like now I see pain as pain and now mm. I see happiness as happiness now it's not because of what you're eating or what you like, exactly it just is what it is exactly like I had a great night because I you know I weigh 10 stone no I had a great night because that movie was really funny yeah. and me and Peter were having great crack like yeah. whatever do you know what I mean it's not like the um it's like the person almost that you have to constantly check in with just to make sure that you've got enough points to feel or do the thing. Yeah. Um, and that they're nodding in the corner and they're tutting at you and they live in your head, which is really scary because nobody, nobody sees it mm. and you're walking around with it like yeah. all day long with earphones in, like nobody yeah. even knows. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like, I think it, it is the most triggering um, addiction in my opinion because there's no escaping it. It's constant. Mm-hmm. Every Big shop time. you walk into, every ad, yeah, every ad, ad, it's just, it's everywhere. Restaurants, yeah. you know, most social events. Well, not that we have any social events I now, know. but, you know, in, in normal times, everything yeah. revolves around it's food. it's so evocative. Like food is Christmas. so, yeah. Like even Christmas coming up. Literally. Like, yeah, it's, it's all it's, food. Even today coming here, I was so excited to like grab a coffee on the way and I was yeah. late because of it. <laughs> well, I was late because of the traffic, but like I would have been like five minutes less late. Yeah. But I was like, for me, part of the kind of the joy in today was getting out of the house for a couple of hours, having my coffee, yep. it being like a coffee that I didn't make myself. And yep. that is the joy and the celebration that I'm trying to promote through my journey. Yeah. But in doing that, I am trying to be really aware of the kind of different facets of of um of this problem. Like some people are restricting themselves, some people are overeating, some people are talking about and some people aren't and the reality is you can't get it right all the time but what you can do is really notice and just hear the different voices and and be aware of them and and like I said maybe if the only thing people do from listening to this podcast is just be careful with their language Mm. and what they say and what they zoom in on because there there's the example of you with newborn Aria and and me wanting to build you up and could have totally knocked you down yeah. purely by one physical comment about how you looked yeah. you know and it, it, a lot of people would struggle with that like and think how how could that be anything but lovely but actually incredibly damaging yeah um and I think sometimes it's just about changing the way you talk about something or yeah. changing the fact that you yeah. talk about it at all most people decide to start on the road to recovery when they reach breaking point A huge amount of fear usually surrounds the idea of recovery because it means letting go of control. Recovery looks different for everyone. Many believe that it's a choice you have to make every day, and others believe that it's possible to fully move past disordered behaviour. Whatever your recovery looks like, it is possible to live a full life beyond the confines of your eating disorder. So you say your recovery, do you kind of feel like you are recovered now or do you do you feel like it's just an everyday everyday kind of path that you have to It's a choice yeah. that I definitely think I have to make every day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think I feel like I'm recovered in the sense of like the big nitty-gritty dark time in my life mm. is no longer happening. That's not to say that it couldn't happen again. Um I feel like I have developed the tools to notice certain behaviors, certain thoughts, certain patterns and really say them out loud when they're happening or say them, you know, to my husband or my mom or my sister or whatever and catch them. And the same with anxiety. Like I would be an incredibly anxious person Mm. and can have a really shy side and that wouldn't be obvious to most people in how I present myself physically. Again, how you present yourself physically isn't always like an actual depiction of what's going on inside. Um... So it's definitely a choice I have to make every day. Um, but I'm okay with that. Yep. You know, I, I think it's 
it's it's given me more of an empowering uh, perspective on it it's like well actually I do have a choice and the only person as I said that I'm reporting to is myself and mm. I love myself no matter what I weigh or no matter what way I look and I think your love for yourself is where it needs to start and everything else in your life including your kids including your husband or your wife or your partner or your mother or your father is an extension of that love but if it's not coming from the source what what is what does the rest of it mean you know it's yeah we're trying to kind of teach our children to talk about how they feel and to love themselves and to care for themselves and yet a lot of us in the background in doing that are harming our own selves by yeah. neglecting yeah that nurturing it's important to understand that there is no right way to approach someone who may be suffering with disordered eating everyone will react differently to being offered help not everyone will be in the right place in their life to face their demons it's important to be sensitive when deciding to start this conversation. Remember, they are struggling and you want to help. They will more than likely get defensive or be in complete denial. They may lash out or be protective. They may break down. Learning sensitive language around the topic may help you in communicating with them. Asking a professional for guidance may help you feel more equipped. And understanding that you are confronting more than just a physical issue can help you empathize with any reaction you receive. If you had like a piece of advice to give to someone who may be concerned about a loved one, you know, and how to talk to them about this, if they're concerned that, you know, a loved one is struggling with something like this, you know, what has been helpful to you? Oh, that's such a tricky one I know. because like it's very it's very oh, personal and I, individual person really to person. Is. Like I remember my mom, you know, and I can see it so clearly now as a mother trying to help me. Mm. And in trying to help me, all she did was shine a spotlight on the things I didn't want to see. Yeah. And I hated her for it. Yeah. I I saw her as like the villain in that situation. Mm. Like you're the one who's creating this problem for me I'm yeah. fine You're that was my big uh, yeah, thing yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine <laughs> you have a problem with how I eat I'm fine that's your stuff um, so that probably wasn't helpful to be honest and yet I would have done that myself um, what I would do is try to not always have the focal point about social activities and connections to always come back to food mm. Um, because sometimes when you're obsessed with food you don't you can't see the wood from the trees you don't know that joy can be found in a bath or that joy can be found in a walk or that joy can be found in like kissing somebody or whatever because like everything comes back to food so yep. sometimes separating those joys and pleasures in life from food can be helpful I think yep. um, because sometimes it helps people just be them, their true selves because they're not noticing what they're yeah, eating. Yeah, just removing, removing removing food the from topic yeah. from the, the conversation yeah. sometimes. And so like equally, watching a movie but not suggesting, you know, foods. Exactly. Like literally just doing the activity exactly. and just not, let's not go near near exactly. the topic of food right yeah. now. Don't comment all the time on what people are eating. Yeah. Maybe be careful about how much you're commenting on that person's appearance, whether mm -hmm. it's good or bad. Mm -hmm. And also in you know to contradict myself share your own vulnerabilities around the topic because I think sometimes when somebody else feels like someone can relate to what they're going through it feels like a bit of a safer place to talk about it yeah. so you know saying maybe I've noticed that when I'm in a bad mood I, I I tend to medicate myself with food or you know even saying like god I've noticed that you know that's triggering me and making me feel a certain way just to share that vulnerability could be the one time that the person who needs to hear it just what they all they hear is me too yeah and that was huge for me yeah. in overcoming my yeah. um toxic relationship with food was knowing that it wasn't just me and in my mind for 10 years it was just me yeah surely there was nobody else in the world who could eat 10 packets of crisps in a row and put all the wrappers under my mattress in my bedroom. Yeah. Like surely there was no one else that would hide behind a scarf with a hot chicken roll at the back of a bus. Mm -hmm. Like, as I said, replace that food with a syringe, replace that food with a bottle of vodka. And suddenly there's a lot more sympathy. Um, And just be aware that you're not the only one. You're really, really not. And it's huge. And yeah. chances are the person sitting beside you on the bus right now or the person across yeah. the desk from you at work. Yeah would love to be able to open up about their issues with food but yeah. it's it's it is a it is a bit of a taboo topic like yeah. it, it actually but it's, is it's like funny like if we had been friends back then 
if you had seen me, you probably would have looked at me and I possibly would have been one of those people that you were looking at thinking, oh, I wish I could be that size or I wish I could look like her. And yet I was doing the same things that you're talking about, probably more and then just purging. So yeah. my my end result weight looked different. Yeah. But, you know, so you never know what you're no, looking at. And I would have also you know? looked at you and thought that you would have hated me because I would have disgusted you no because you were like a naturally yeah. slim person yeah. and I was somebody who could be naturally slim but yeah. chose to, yeah. to binge eat and yeah. to be a larger person yeah but you just never know you just don't know and it's only now kind of reflecting and after lots of years going through this and lots of talking and lots of therapy that you can kind of see that and also I think just for the next generation I think using food as a constant reward I mean we all do it don't get me wrong I do it all the time oh, stop. I have to stop myself <laughs> all the time it's so with hard. our girls like and I try and I'm so conscious of the language and you know it's like if you do this you'll get this if you finish this you'll get this and I'm like stop it no it can just be something to enjoy and also like remembering that there's more happy tokens than food so like yes. sometimes I'll say well do your homework and okay you can watch YouTube kids for a few minutes yeah. or yeah. you know we'll go out on your bike even though it's dark yeah. or whatever that it's like the end result is not always to reward yourself with food yeah. that there's so many other joys in life that yeah. don't involve your mouth <laughs> that sounds dodge <laughs> but there are a lot more um, and yeah to just kind of also at the same time and almost contradicting myself to talk about food around your kids in a positive manner to not talk about weight in front of your kids to not talk about size in front of your kids and to really use positive body language around your kids um not just in the kind of typical terms of like small large you know nice hair whatever like I'll often talk about my son's freckles and stuff I'm like did you notice you had that freckle on your foot yeah isn't that cool like he's like really I'm like yeah no one else probably has a freckle there yeah like Willow has just discovered she has a belly button so she thinks they're gas yeah, and she's yeah, yeah. like pointing at random as being like bunting and like little does the postman know she's talking about his belly button but yeah. like just positive body language and kind of just um, not always putting a, such an aesthetic spotlight on yeah. the coat we're wearing yeah. and more of a focus on the person that's underneath it. Eating disorders can take on so many different forms. On the outside, they can appear to be vastly different. Yet what is happening internally is actually very similar. Those who are struggling with disordered eating are actually suffering from much deeper internal struggles, which just happen to be manifesting on a physical spectrum. You know, I was in the park with Aria a few weeks back and I got a latte and I think we were kind of sharing a piece of cake and a croissant or something. And I was just, I was enjoying it. I was just, we were sitting there and, you know, we're, we were outside, we weren't inside. But we were sitting there and like watching the pigeons and watching the dogs play. And it was just really nice. But just not long ago, there's no way I would have ever, ever been able to do that. Not been like dying inside at the thought of, I need to get this out of my body. Or I, I can't have this. I'm not worthy of having this. Mm-hmm. And it's just it still blows my mind that I, I'm in a place now that I can actually enjoy food and I can think about food and I can talk about food and I'm not terrified of it. Yeah, it's and weird. I can relate to everything you're saying there. Like, yeah. that's the, the exact same for me. And yet, physically, we would have come from different ends of the spectrum and yet yeah. the behaviours and the feelings are yeah. almost identical. Yeah. Um, And in that, in that lovely image there with your daughter and the weather and the birds and it's part of a story mm. it's not the whole story yeah whereas I think when you're struggling with food the the limelight and the spotlight is only on the food mm. and what it's doing to your body yeah whereas now it can be like oh, I went to the Phoenix Park and I had a cup of coffee and one of those gorgeous flapjacks that they sell and then we walked and saw the squirrels and it's part of a positive picture it's yeah. not the full picture yeah. and it certainly doesn't define whether or not it was a good day or a bad day yeah. or whether you were worthy of that happiness yeah. in that moment so yeah. it's I mean, the positive thing is hopefully we can pass that on to our kids and and kind of it can we can pay it forward. And and I'm not that's not to say our children might not experience what we experience, but I think we'll be better equipped to know it and to kind of harness it and sort of, you know, help them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. I think this will be of huge benefit to like a lot of people. 
Thank who, you. Who um, may see something of themselves in, in what we've talked about. Thank you for having me and thanks for creating a podcast on such an important topic. If you need medical advice, please speak to a professional or contact BodyWise, the national charity for eating disorders in Ireland, on 01 210 7906. Thank you again for listening, and I hope that this conversation has been helpful to you in some way. I'm Renee Von Medin, and this has been Disordered. Disordered.